Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. So I recently saw a meme that made me feel like I wasn't the only person in the world thinking such crazy thoughts, which I know... There's an alarming sum of you guys that are thinking crazy (laughs) thoughts. Uh, Oftentimes, I try and express my crazy thoughts to you and you look at me as crazy as I think you're going to look at me, but then I realize I'm actually not alone. There are others out there that are just as crazy as I am. Yeah, so, just in basements across this great just, nation of ours. I just didn't marry a crazy one. And maybe that's good. We balance each other. You're welcome for bringing crazy into your life. Appreciate uh, it. But this meme, it it honestly resonated with me so much. And as I was reading it, I was laughing. But I also thought this is very true of the thoughts that enter my brain often. So it says, how an anxious, anxious person receives a gift. One enthusiastically thanks the person. Two, worry you weren't enthusiastic enough. Three, worry you were actually too enthusiastic. Four, think about the last gift you gave them. Five, panic. It was such a terrible gift. Six, get mad for being a terrible gift giver. Seven, feel guilty for receiving such an awesome gift. Eight, wonder if you should buy them a thank you gift. That like the sequence of thoughts is just, <laughs> I know, it's like funny to think someone actually goes from receiving a gift and is so grateful for it and then ends up to this very, what feels like irrational and illogical place of, oh my goodness, I am such a horrible person. I need to give them a gift just to tell them like, thank you so much for giving me such a great gift. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're like, you're in a social interaction too. And like you have a great conversation with someone, it's this, you know, you laugh, it's this funny interaction and you walk away and you think, no wonder everybody hates me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you analyze every single thing that you've done, like facial expression, um, body language, just any, any encounter that you had with somebody and you think, wow, maybe that didn't go as well as I thought it went. Like maybe they're just walking away thinking I never want to talk to her again. Um, and Really, what what this characterizes, at least this like sequence of thoughts, is this is just the thought life of a very anxious person. Um, and I mean, I think I've shared before that I am an anxious person. Uh, motherhood has really brought out anxiety in me. It's delightful. But anxiety is becoming like really, really common these days. Yeah. I mean, and it we can poke fun at memes and things like that. Right. And just kind of the normal course of, you know, insecurity that all of us feel or, you know, kind of garden variety anxiety. Uh, but really anxiety is a an epidemic of our time uh, in that there are people with far more severe symptoms of anxiety than, you know, what we, can, meme. we right. can find in memes. Yeah. Actually, based on a recent report, an estimated 31% of adult Americans will experience some form of an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. And again, that's only adults. Like that's not even speaking to the number of children and teenagers and young adults that are currently um, wrestling with anxiety. Yeah. So about one in three. Right. Yeah. Look to your left. Look to your right. 
one of these people has anxiety. <laughs> and maybe look in the mirror. Yes, yeah, probably uh, you. Yeah, it's probably you're probably one of the three. Uh, but something else that's kind of interesting is not even pastors are immune to this. In fact, I they're mean, worse off. Right. So a recent study just in relation to pastors is 43% of pastors uh, struggle with anxiety and have seriously considered leaving the ministry. Uh, on our on our podcast, we've talked specifically about mental health crisis happening in our country um, and kind of how should the church be viewing this? How should our response as Christians and as a church be? So we're not going to dive a whole lot into like that side of things because we've already done a podcast on it. But interestingly enough, some Christians believe that anxiety specifically is a sin that is a result of a lack of dependence um, and faith in the Lord. Yeah, so we want to evaluate that claim, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, let's get anxiety. Let's talk anxiety. What does the Bible have to say about anxiety? What do people who read the Bible have to say about what the Bible says about anxiety? A lot of people say a lot of things. We have a couple of quotes here. Uh, Pastor and author John Mark Comer has written, Anxiety is temporary atheism. And he's not the only one to have said things like this. Randy Alcorn, who's a you know widely respected, I think best-selling author, uh, wrote: "Worry is momentary atheism, crying out for correction by trusting in a good sovereign God. Suffering breaks self-reliance." So something very similar to what John Mark Comer said, and then John MacArthur has written: "Anxiety reflects a failure of faith. We're told repeatedly in Scripture not to fear, not to fret about the future." As is written in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So it's not an uncommon sentiment to frame anxiety not as a mental health concern, uh, but as a sin. Not as a condition to be treated, but as a sin to be repented of. Yeah, and this really is pretty strong language as you think of the number of people that are dealing with anxiety. Um, I mean, like we said just moments ago, one in three people are suffering. And one in four pastors. Yeah, and one in four pastors. And so to then just make these types of claims or, and not even to say claims, but to, to view anxiety through this lens of 
really in a lot of ways, it's, it's sinful that you are anxious and it's a lack of faith or a lack of obedience um, in the Lord. And if you would just be obedient and stop being anxious, then you would be fine. Right. And it's, I said one in four pastors, by the way, it, it's 40%, which is actually way more. Yeah, it's more than one in four. And so right. by their own preaching, right. a lot of, pa- like almost right. half of pastors are in sin when it comes yeah. to yeah. anxiety. And especially to describe it as like, even if it's like, oh gosh, what was the first quote? I mean, it, it's describing it as momentary atheism. Uh, that's like really strong language to give someone that's that's dealing with anxiety and it's really pretty harmful to tell a faithful follower of Jesus that uh you are dealing with anxiety is just a result of you being a an atheist in this moment in your life. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, your palms are sweating, your heart is fluttering. You feel like, you know, death has come because of your anxiety. That's probably just because you don't believe in God. Right. And if you died right now, you'd probably die in your sin because you're an atheist. <laughs> right. It's just... <laughs> like, this is not helping. But it, it... Well, and it's not only just a lack of empathy because, I mean, people think empathy is a sin too. So, I mean, That's a I whole guess other everything. conversation. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I guess everything's a sin, right? But uh, when we're really looking at this particular uh, subset of mental health crisis in our world, specifically uh, anxiety, really what's happening when we say these types of things or make these kinds of statements or quote these kinds of leaders and um, pastors is we're really damaging and writing off the people that are dealing with anxiety and basically putting that burden back onto them and saying, well, you just don't have enough faith. Um, and you wouldn't even be dealing with this situation if you would just be obedient to the Lord. And of course, that's just a, an entire blatant lack of recognition of it being a, a health issue. Like there are biological and internal things happening within your body that are causing these types of reactions to be on full display in your life. Um, and it's it's narrowing it down to a a spiritual issue of saying you you just aren't being obedient to the Lord. Yeah, and we've talked about this a little bit before in our episode talking about biblical counseling, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But we kind of talked about mental health in and how it is reacted to a lot of times in the church through this model of biblical counseling, which is kind of an alternative to psychiatry, to um, clinical psychology, um, to therapy, and it's kind of, we kind of talked about the ill-formed ideas ab- about, you know, and around that practice. Uh, so we won't go um, into that in detail here. We'll link to that and you can listen to that, that other episode. Um, but really the, the, the through line of the whole thing is, again, that anxiety is a sin to be repented of rather than a, a, a condition to be treated. Yeah, and the point of contention here is not so much... Uh, whether clinical psychology can be leveraged in a way that is congruent with the message and morals of scripture. Which it can um, by literally the thousands right. of Christian <laughs> psychologists in right. this country. 
right? But the point of contention really is whether scripture itself paints anxiety as starkly as many conservative theologians and biblical counselors do, where it just seems like there's such a massive disconnect in, in the way that um, theologians and biblical counselors are talking about anxiety. And then where you have therapists and psychologists in the way that they're understanding anxiety, they just seem like two drastically different worlds, but people, Christians particularly who are struggling with anxiety are likely first starting with the biblical counselors. Um, and it, it's just doing such a disservice to the mental health condition that, that many people are facing. Right. You think it would be helpful because it's got Bible in the name, but not necessarily as yeah. helpful as you would think. And so we want to look at a couple of different Bible passages um, that have the English word anxiety. And it's interesting, like the, the way that we kind of interpret things, whereas like um, there's obviously the translation of the original languages to English, but then we have this English translation and... Uh, over time, even the English language evolves and changes. And so if we look at like a command to not be anxious, we, we want to understand what that means because our conception of what the word anxious means uh, has evolved over time to include this just large clinical diagnosis and all of these nuances and things like that uh, related to better understanding of mental health in the, the last couple of decades specifically. Um, and so we attach the, the, that meaning to this word anxiety, which may be disconnected from the original intent of that word when it was written down two millennia ago. Yeah. And one of the common places that people will turn to say, look, Jesus commanded, do not be anxious about anything. Um, so don't be anxious about anything. Like just stop being anxious, uh, is found in Jesus's sermon on the Mount in Matthew six. So I actually want us to spend some time looking at what is happening in these verses, um, what's happening before these verses, like how do we actually understand what Jesus is saying? And can we pull out that, therefore, do not be anxious about anything verse and give that to our friend who's struggling with anxiety? Right. So we want to dive into that, but we'll do that in just a moment. So in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about what you will wear and what you will eat and so on and so forth. Um, and we want to dive into like what's actually happening in that verse. Yeah. So I'll start by reading it's verse. Uh, so it's Matthew six twenty five through 34, uh, which again is um, a large chunk of verses. But as we want to spend a lot of time here, really looking at what's happening um, and what is the the actual theme and message that's coming out of these verses? And have we been uh, accurately applying that to our lives and accurately sharing that with others? So in Matthew 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by warring add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So you have probably heard <laughs> this passage of scripture before, and there's there's actually a lot of like really quotable verses. I, that sounds really awful to say. They're right? very but tweetable. Yeah. I mean, you think like, don't worry about tomorrow, it will worry about itself, and just all of those all of those like goes on a coffee mug. The, yeah. <laughs> goes on a canvas. Yes, and it's all like in this section of scripture. But oftentimes we'll hear this um this portion of the Sermon on the Mount preached and we like give it to our friends who are dealing with anxiety, right? Like don't worry about today, it'll worry about itself tomorrow. Like what can be added to your day if you're worrying about it now? Like nothing, right? Um and God will take care of you. He will he closed the flowers and like, you know, we just, we take all so many aspects of these verses and we think that we're, um, encouraging people. I think I don't, maybe, I don't know what we think, but we're giving it to our friends who are dealing with anxiety. But I want us to really look at that first part where Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. And whenever you see a therefore, what's you have to ask, for? what's it there for? <laughs> yes. Um, so the therefore in the, in this. <laughs> <laughs> what's it there for? Tell me. I know. It is therefore. It's telling you look back at everything Jesus just said. Look back at the previous verses. So in light of everything I just shared with you. Do Therefore. not be anxious, right? So because of all this other stuff that I just shared with you, um, do not be anxious about what you will eat, what, uh, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. But oftentimes these verses are pulled out as this chunk from 25 to 34 and preachers don't go back to what Jesus was talking about before, even though he starts this section of scripture by saying, Therefore, go back and look at what I just told you. But we don't do that. So in the previous verses, Jesus is actually talking about serving two masters. Um, He's saying, look, you can't serve two masters. And it's just a short set of verses prior to going into this, these sections. But basically he's saying like, what is important to your heart? Like what, where is it that you're, putting your treasure? Where is it that you're putting your um, your time and your effort? Is it in these worldly things or is it is in, in heavenly things? And so then he says, therefore, do not be anxious about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Um, so when we, we see that word anxious or worry, 
we often bring in our own current day understanding of a medical health issue pertaining to anxiety. Right. Like the physical symptoms of some type of anxiety disorder, anxiety episode. Yeah, but that is not what Jesus is talking about when he says, do not worry. He's not taking our our current day understanding and our current day, like playing out of what anxiety looks like in someone's life and saying, look, this is the same word. So let's just apply it to people dealing with anxiety in 2023. Yeah, what he's talking about in this context is um, that phrase he uses that you can't serve um, both both uh, God and mammon, a God and, and money. And he's talking about the where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he's speaking to just the uh, the ambition that we all tend to have about how we can accumulate um, wealth, and not necessarily wealth just to be wealthy, but how we can accumulate a sense of security in life by way of our financial gains. Um, you know, having a house, you know, making sure that you're, you, you have, you know, not only enough food, but an over an abundance of food that you never even have to worry about what food you'll have that you, you have, you know, enough clothes to wear, but you have like nice clothes and multiple sets of nice clothes. Like these are things that, you know, obviously in our day we pursue these things and it was just the same in, in Jesus's time. I think especially in a period in history where food insecurity was much greater than it is now, that if you could amass some kind of wealth, that there was actual security that was coming along with that. And what Jesus is saying is that you can't serve your own ambition or your your um, your desire to be without any need ever or to just, you know, to have this, you know, self-reliance, you can't serve that and serve God at the same time. And then the natural question that comes out of that is like, yeah, but I still got to eat, right? Like I still do need clothes. So there, I need to have some kind of drive. I need to have some kind of ambition. And he says, yeah, but, but don't be so worried about these things. Like, don't be so worried that, that you're not going to have enough when God is going to provide. And so that's really the context of what he's talking about there. Um, he's not talking about any kind of anxiety disorder or uh, episode of you know physical manifestations of what anxiety does to you. He's talking about this general like focus of your life in terms of like what are you putting the most uh, focus in in your life that you are trying to amass a level of wealth or significance or whatever it might be, or are you um, treasuring the things of Jesus and knowing that, you know, everything else is going to work out anyways. Right. And in verse 32, he, you know, goes on to talk about pursuing these types of things. And then he says, uh, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly fathers know your heavenly fathers knows that you need them. And so what he's doing is he's saying, look, the world um, that 
his audience would have understood would have been pagans, right? So he's saying the worldly pursuit is to chase these things for your ambition, for your passion, for your time, for your energy, to go into pursuing all of these things. And you pursue them so much that you begin to worry about how you're going to make these things greater in your life, how you're going to attain these things. And really what he's talking about is a pursuit of the kingdom of God versus a pursuit of the world. And that's what he's been talking about section after section. And then when we get over to chapter six, he's like, but you don't have to worry about these types of things because these aren't the types of things that you pursue. And then he brings it down to the very real, like, well, of course I need to eat and I need to be clothed. Um, and he says, yeah, absolutely. And I will take care of those things for you. So it's, it's just a completely different context than is what, than what is often preached, unfortunately, because what, what he's really driving at is where is your heart? Where is your treasure? Is it in the worldly ambitions? Is it in the worldly pursuits? Or is it in heavenly things? And those very basic needs that you have in your life, I know about them because I created you to need those things, but I will also be the provider of those things and take care of you. Um, And so when you really put it in that lens, you realize he's not talking about this biological and medical condition of anxiety that people who are truly struggling with anxiety disorder, um, that's not what he's talking about here. And we just, we see that word worry that we see that word anxious and we're like, see, this is how we solve the mental health crisis in America. Stop sinning. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. But, um, but what he's really getting at is, is, is the condition of your heart and what you're pursuing. And really Jesus was being so countercultural in this time because he's saying here is, here are all the other things that the world is pursuing, but here's what I want you to pursue. And that is yet again, Jesus flipping culture on its own head. Um, And he's saying, this is what I'm calling my people to is to seek things of the kingdom of God and not to deny your physical needs. I don't want you to do that. But don't worry about them because I'm going to take care of them. Yeah, I mean, really, that's the whole um, through line of the Sermon on the Mount is like Jesus is calling us to like this greater faithfulness where like you think, you know, just because you didn't physically kill somebody that 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 was righteousness. But he talks about, you know, yeah, but you got to attack your anger. And it's like you think you're generous, but you're you're not generous because you're giving to have other people see you and you're fasting, but you're only doing that for, you know, the recognition and, um, you're pursuing earthly significance when you don't need to. And so like, he's really calling us to like this really extreme level of faithfulness to, to him. And you know, it's, it's no mistake that this portion of verses that we're discussing here comes at the end of the sermon where it's almost like if you're sitting there listening to Jesus, you're like, yeah, but if I do all that, like, am I going to be like, okay? And the answer is like, yes, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Because I care about you even more than you care about you. So it's already taken care of. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what he's describing when he's talking about 
do I not care for the birds of the air? Do I not care for the flowers? Like, do I not dress the flowers, right? Like, do I not care about all these things that are less important than you are to me? You are more valuable than those other things. Um, And somehow we still even spin those pieces and say, why are you so anxious? You're valuable to God. Like, why are you suffering with this disorder? That doesn't make any sense. Like we're trying to correlate to, we're trying to connect two different things that Jesus wasn't actually saying in these verses. Um, and the way that we can be sure of that again is by how does he start it with that? Therefore, like he's, he is telling you, look back at all these other things I've been talking about. Right. Yeah. So that's the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus and what he meant by don't be anxious. But there's another passage we want to look at that that has this command to not be anxious. And that is Philippians 4, 6, which says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And again, like that's a good like that's a good there it is bumper sticker. That's a good coffee mug. Um, that's a good like reference to get like tattooed on your wrist or like whatever it might be like it's just one of those verses that's a real good soundbite uh but that soundbite actually comes in a context that most christians actually don't even realize um because it's just such a quotable thing to say that we pull it completely out of its context and the the situation that's happening here in paul's letter to the church in philippi um it's actually having to deal with this interpersonal conflict that's happening in that church. And so there are these two women, Yodia and Syntyche are their names, and um, they're fighting about something. They appear to be leaders in the church. We don't know exactly what they're fighting about, um, but it it's it's become a, a big enough of a brawl that like from Rome in a prison – like Paul has heard about that that these two gals are really just you know locking horns, and so um, he writes to them is basically telling them like, hey, can you guys like figure out this conflict? This and it was probably related to like a decision that needed to be made like in the church, like 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 what color should the carpet be is often one of the <laughs> right. big ones that will yeah. get you into one of these deadlocks but it was it probably had something to do with like a strategy or um you know a policy or something that that they were trying to institute or they're trying to strategize about uh in this congregation and so paul says i understand that like you guys are at odds and you both want to do the right thing for this church but can like you knock it off with the 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 way that you're hassling everybody and, you know, just creating this conflict in the church. And so back up at verse two of chapter four, it says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they uh, have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. And so he's calling upon like all the other leaders, like, come on, let's, I know these two women, these are godly women, but they can't seem to agree. Everybody else who's leaders in the situation, like let's come around this and like try to be of one mind. And then the next verse, which is often like partitioned off in Bibles as like a different section. Right. It's actually the same section because then he's like in the context of you got to come together and like you're not on the same page. How do you get on the same page? Verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. 
let your gentleness be evident to all, as the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so, even that verse, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, we think like, yes, like if I'm... I'm going through a circumstance or I'm going through a season. Uh, I'm going to like pray and say like self, don't be anxious about anything. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer anxious. And if you just like will the anxious away, then this kind of ill-defined esoteric existential peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And it's, it's actually, you know, it's, it's, Framed is always like this kind of like devotional quiet time, me and Jesus kind of a thing. When really what Paul is talking about is like, no, you guys are like about to get in a fist fight at the congregational meeting. And I know you're making important decisions. And I know that you're all people who love Jesus, but you're just real riled up about this. And he doesn't even like tell them like what the solution to the problem is. Which means it may have just been like a matter of opinion that they couldn't get about it. And so he says, I need you to come together. I need you to um, worship together, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. I need you to pray together, um, to have wisdom together. I need you to not be anxious that your side is going to lose in whatever this battle is for whatever, you know, thing you're trying to, agenda you're trying to push forward because you think that it's the best thing for the church. I need you to not be worried about that, but I need you all to worship together, pray together, Get your heads together. And if you can do that, then you will have peace with yourselves. Like you, the, the, He's talking about an interpersonal peace that transcends, under, tra- transcends understanding. That like, you know, that people could be, you know, just completely at odds with one another. But if the same Holy Spirit is in, you know, all of these people, then there's a peace that they can arrive at that transcends all understanding and will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It'll guard them from sin. It'll guard them from division. It'll guard them from um, just the stress and the worry that like, I, I feel like you won the argument and like your plan is moving forward. And like, I'm frustrated by that. Um, that there's, there's a, there's an actual true peace that can be had. And so really this verse really has nothing to do with anxiety as we conceive of it today. It has everything to do with conflict. Right. Which, I mean, which gives you anxiety. Which can bring about, right, which as just has it can bring about like forms of anxiety. But as we understand people, I mean, who are in the trenches of just debilitating anxiety that they can't even function in their day-to-day experiences. And I know there's like a spectrum of symptoms of anxiety, right? You might have anxiety about this moment of conflict in your life. But I might be dealing just with this overwhelming anxiety that is hindering me from functioning in life. Right. I mean, that's an important distinction because everybody has anxiety. Right. Like, there's a certain type of anxiety that we all have. Like, oh, I said something stupid and now I'm thinking about it and I, I'm worried that everybody hates me. Or, oh, I have this big thing coming up at work. And so, like, I'm having trouble sleeping tonight because I know that that thing is coming up. And it's like this very specific kind of mm-hmm. situational mm-hmm. anxiety all the way up to someone just has anxiety like there's just like yeah. it's just, like it's just there's mm-hmm. they're not anxious about anything mm-hmm. they're just anxious about everything i guess like yeah like just there's just the this present just cloud of anxiety that mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. you know tormenting them essentially 
Yeah. And it's important to understand that there is that spectrum of it. And so when we try and just say like, well, just bring that request before the Lord and he'll give you a peace that surpasses understanding. One, that's that's not quite what the verse is saying. Um, certainly we can take out these very general principles of the way that we know um, the Lord operates and the Lord cares for us because it's true. I mean, even in the Matthew verse, you see you are valuable and I will take care of you. Uh, so there are these like nuggets of truth that we pull out, but then we kind of spin them into this different way and make someone feel as if they are sinning in their anxiety. And if they would just be obedient, then the Lord would take care of them. And, and that's just not how it works. Yeah. And I just think about like someone who has like generalized anxiety and you say like, just bring your requests to God. And it's like, well, I don't really have any requests. I'm just sitting on my couch having a fight or flight response that I'm not sure why it's there. Yeah. So I can like request like. Lord, let, my, that, let that, my heart stop yeah, like, can that not jumping be? out of my chest. Yeah, but the, this idea that like when you're anxious, like just pray about the thing that makes you anxious and then all of a sudden you'll have peace inside. I mean, that that happens. That, there's like, say I am anxious about the thing at work tomorrow and I pray and then, you know, I, I feel a lot better. Um, but that's not talking, that's a, that's a whole different situation from someone who actually has a mental health diagnosis with anxiety. So I think we, um, we conflate, when we talk about anxiety, a lot of times we're talking about like two different things. Hmm. Like we're talking yeah. about, there's like stress, which we all feel. And in many ways has a lot of the same biological markers of, you know, clinical anxiety, but it's a fundamentally different thing than anxiety as a clinical term. And I think a lot of times we, we don't use two different words for those very two different experiences and we think they're one thing and we end up, you know, saying foolish things to people who are suffering the second one rather than just the kind of garden variety, normal everyday stress. Yeah. And it is harder if someone hasn't encountered that type of anxiety themselves to then look at someone else and kind of think, well, we have the same kind of anxiety. Like I had anxiety about my new job tomorrow because it's new and it's foreign and I don't really know what to expect. So I kind of had like the jitters about it versus someone else who just, again, has this very overwhelming, debilitating anxiety um, and try and equate those to the same thing. And that person saying, well, I just prayed about it and it, it was all fine. See, it all worked out in the end anyways. Like if you just aren't anxious, it's all going to work out anyways. Right. Yeah. And then even just like once the stimulus of the thing that's giving you stress is over, problem solved. Whereas that there's not necessarily yes. a one thing that's an external stimulus that's doing that to a person who has clinical anxiety. Right. And, and if there is like, it just gets replaced with another thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's like yeah. a big thing, a small thing, like yeah. it'll just, you know, gravitate to whatever because mm -hmm. there's just this generalized anxiety that you're struggling with. Yeah. And it, it's always like critical anytime we're looking at verses to make sure that we're, <laughs> we're teaching them and understanding them within the context that they sit in. Right. Which oftentimes means looking at the verses that are coming before it verses that are coming after it sections that come before it sections that come after it sounds like a lot um, of reading i don't know it sounds like way too much reading yeah <laughs> but i mean the in matthew 6 it is a whole different section that you really need to be looking at before but there are cues within the writing itself that tells you hey this section you're about to read is actually connected to the one that came before by the simple word therefore that is your connection to understand this within a broader context. 
And then the Philippians one, I mean, that do not be anxious about anything, but bring your prayers before the Lord. People just pluck that verse right out of the middle and it just let it be its own standalone and understand it to whatever you want it to be in that moment in your life, which is certainly not the way that we should view scripture. Um, and to be sure, a lot of times the Bible translators have not served us well in, in this. Because like on they, that one yeah. in particular, it's like new paragraph. And even more than that, it's new heading. So like when you read your Bible, like maybe don't pay attention to the headings. Like that's because it's not only they put it in a new paragraph, but it's like this is a completely different section talking about a completely different thing, even though in the original manuscript it's like literally just the next line. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's the issue with chapters and verses as well. They're helpful, but they'll get us if we. Yeah, they're helpful to like keep track of where you are. And so it's not just this running list of uh a long letter that just seems to never end. Well, yeah, and, and the fact no, that I can say Philippians four six, and we all and, know, and exactly. you know what those words yeah. are, you know. So they have they have benefits, but they also can hinder our understanding of Scripture because we then take um, the thoughts and isolate them into like their own standalone place. And I think the only place you can really do that is probably Proverbs. It has a lot of its own standalone. Mm-hmm. I mean, every once in a while, there's like, there's certain sections that yeah. thematically the thing goes together. But even then, you could still take one out and not really. And it can be yeah. its own. Like You're you not going to grossly misinterpret yeah, it by yeah. looking at it on its own. But just about everywhere else in scripture, you need to be understanding thought flow and where did this come from and where are we going and where did we start to really see what's happening. Um, and then, obviously, you're, the issues of our own, like, thousands of years of (laughs) separation from a different culture. Like we just live in a different time altogether. So we are taking our modern day understanding of anxiety, that word anxiety and what the medical field has begun to understand with this medical advancements of like, no, this is actually something happening within you. That's like biologically things aren't the way they're, they're supposed to be. That wouldn't, there just wouldn't have been any grasp of that when this was written, right? Right. So all that to be said, um, when we take verses and we isolate them um, and we develop an entire theological stance that impacts our day-to-day living, there's a lot of harm that's done. And I know when we tell people who are who are really dealing with some pretty difficult anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. Like you're actually, there's some kind of harm in that because you're putting this burden back onto them. And like a lot of these um, pastors quotes that we read, we're actually telling them like you're sinning in this. And that's yeah, or like, you really don't believe in God or your faith just isn't strong enough, or you're just not being obedient to the Lord. And, And oftentimes you have people who are genuinely just like faithful, devoted followers to Jesus. And that just sends them into an even greater sense of turmoil because they don't know how to get rid of this anxiety to begin with. And now you're, you're telling them it's your own fault because you're disobedient. And then they're really like, well, now I have absolutely no idea what to do. Um, yeah. So with so many people living in anxiety, it's important that we don't weaponize scripture Mm. It's important that we don't make them feel guilt or shame um, or even just simply 
insinuating that they're being disobedient to the Lord because of a mental health issue that they're struggling with. Yeah. For, so for those who are living with anxiety, um, it's our heart that you wouldn't look to a passage of scripture and feel worse about yourself. Um, but that you would actually look to scripture and that, you know, you would be given a, a good interpretation of that scripture in a way that is actually helpful. Like what a concept that the Bible would be helpful mm. that would not heap shame and guilt that even where the Bible convicts that there would be uh, comfort that would be brought to you. Um, and a lot of times that just takes, you know, taking a, a, a closer look at, um, at what Jesus is saying about um, when you have stress and anxiety, what about what Paul is saying um, and taking in just the full account of everything the Bible says about um, anxiety and um, matching that with, you know, mental health strategies that you're given from mental health professionals. And um, there's nothing wrong with, with um, employing all of those, those things that you've, you've learned uh, from mental health professionals uh, to help your anxiety and to and to also just know that your anxiety itself is not a sin. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kindnessproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Life Audio presents Bridges with Monica Schmelter. That we have an enduring hope that can't be taken away when we are in Christ. And to know that we have that, right? And eternal salvation, because this world can be so busy and so dark that we can forget that, right? Right? Because sometimes I get caught in the trappings of what's going on in my life this moment. And while I have to recognize that, that's not it. Continue listening on lifeaudio.com or wherever you find your podcast.